Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. Let's all stand together. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this day. This is Easter morning. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful time of the year. God bless all of you. Amen. Let's just worship the Lord and praise him together right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings and goodness. We praise you, Jesus, for your precious promises. God, we thank you, Lord, for all that you mean to us. We thank you, Lord, for this precious time to be gathered together in your house to lift up your name and to study your word. We ask you to bless this adult Bible class here this morning as we look into the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your friend next to you and shake their hand and greet them. Jesus' name again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just wave at them if you can. <laughs> Can't reach them. That's all right. <laughs> Praise God. God bless you here this morning. We're happy for all of you that are with us. Praise the Lord. This is Easter morning. I uh, seldom ever come to Easter that I don't think about uh, an experience I had some 15 years ago when I was invited to go to Africa to uh, speak at a conference there uh, in uh, Swaziland. And uh, it was on the Easter holiday in Africa, South Africa at least. Uh, Easter is the biggest holiday in the year. It's not here, it's, it's Christmas. You know, Christmas is big. But over there, Easter is the big holiday, holiday time. And ironically to us, of course, Easter is the fall of the year over there. You know, this is South Africa. You're in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's the fall of the year, and they're getting their corn in and getting all their crops in and so forth. But in, this, in the country of South Africa, they, they have four days that are holidays, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. They're all holidays all for everybody. And in Swaziland, there's three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, a lot of the people in Swaziland work in South Africa. They have to you know, go across the country line and so forth. Swaziland is a very small country. South Africa, a country of 50 million people. And uh, so the people that are Swazis that are in South Africa and the Swazi language and the, and the Zulu language are just about the same. They're distant cousins in, in, in their language and in, the, in their own history. And uh, so they would, uh, the people in Swazi, a lot of them go into different parts of South Africa and they have jobs and so forth. And when Easter comes on, I think Thursday or Friday, uh, they will begin to make their way back to Swaziland. And this conference that they would always have there, one of the big conferences in Swaziland. And uh, I remember Brother Poor picking us up in Johannesburg and driving us. It took us, I think, about three hours to drive us to Swaziland. And uh, or longer than that, maybe four hours. Anyhow, we're traveling on a road, people are walking. And every vehicle that travels is loaded with people. There's no vehicle that's not loaded down. Anybody that's got a room for somebody to stand on a running board and just hang on, they'll stop and pick up somebody. And they'll, they'll hitchhike it with their passport in their hand. And the color of their passport, you know that they're, you know, where they're going. And uh, it's such a unique thing to see all these people there. And anyhow, we got into Swaziland and everything. And, and then they'd stay in the church. The men all sleep in the church. The, the church, the church in, in, in Bobain, the capital city of Swaziland, is the largest auditorium in that country. And it's a huge auditorium. It's got a big uh, balcony to it. 
and uh, the conference, the men all sleep at night on the floor, and the women all sleep in the educational building with the children. And uh, they, they, have, they start 7 o'clock in the morning, and they work it all day long for three, four days, and uh, they then into the night. And we were not always there. We only had to be there like just before we went to preach or something of this nature. But I, you talk about worship. Everybody got into it. Nobody was doing this. Nobody was balancing checkbooks. Nobody was on a cell phone. Nobody was doing like this. None of that. They were into it. They were worshiping. They praised the Lord. And it was, it was tremendous. And I'll never forget, you know, the experience of being there and these people. I know I got through preaching on a Sunday morning. And, uh, and they said, all right, we're going to have baptismal service now. And uh, they filled that water tank out back, and they baptized people from, from noon. They baptized people till about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, one after the other after the other. I don't know how many people they baptized. Baptizing in the Jesus' name. People that had come from all over, roundabout, and so forth. They packed out that auditorium. It was such a joyful thing. I really enjoyed it. Brother and Sister Porter invited us there. We had a great time. Praise the Lord. And something about people in the world, all over the world, everybody's the same, basically. They're trying to raise their families. They're trying to feed their families with, for the men. And, and women are trying to look after the children, trying to get them grown, trying to get them married to the right one when they get to that marriage age, you know. And on and on and on, praise the Lord. And everybody just trying to get through life. Praise God. Aren't you glad, though, that God has allowed us to be in good old USA where we can come to the house of worship and worship him and praise him without fear or favor of anything? Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to uh, the book of St. Luke. I want to speak on something here this morning that uh, God has put in my heart for this service this morning, this Bible study time. And um, I want you to look with me here in the book of St. Luke. I'm going to read the first four verses. First four verses. This is Luke writing. And he addresses the book of Luke to a man called and by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus. Theophilus was some kind of uh, potentate, uh, ruler, leader, uh, person of high rank of some type. And uh, Luke. Uh, addresses his entire gospel of Luke to this man Theophilus and uh, I'm going to start reading in the first verse if you look with me very closely on this for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us now understand this he prefaces this book of Luke by saying, I'm going to tell you things that is most surely believed among us, things that may sound impossible, things that may seem like they are is impossible to believe, but we know that they are real and we know that they are true. And so he says, those things which are most surely believed among us, verse 2, even as they, speaking of the other apostles and so forth, Luke uh, was came into the picture later in life, later in, uh, in, in the gospel time, uh, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses. They were, they saw Jesus. Luke is saying, I did not, but they were, they did. And ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, 
having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Now, let me just say this. There are some people who come into the church and they say, this is it. They make up their mind. They make up their heart. They say, this is what I want. This is where God, where God is. This is where I feel the Lord. And that settles it. And they settle it once and for all. And they walk with God and they serve the Lord all the days of their life. And that's the kind of person Luke was. No wishy-washy, no in and out, no wondering, no debating, no doubting. They just made up their mind that was it. So he said, from, he said, having perfect understanding of all things that is about Christ from the very first, I, wrote, I, write, unto, I write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So this is where it's addressed to. Look at verse 4. And this sort of ties in with, with verse 1, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. I write thee so that you will know how certain they are. And he confirms that with that verse, first verse where he says those things which are most surely believed among us. Now this was Luke's writing the gospel to Theophilus. Now Luke wrote another letter or book or writing to Theophilus and that was the book of Acts now I want you to turn to the book of Acts with me and he addresses the book of Acts in a very similar way in the book of Acts he writes these words and this is Acts 1 1 I'm reading in here this is Luke writing as well and he says the former treaties have I made O Theophilus and he's referring to the book of Luke that he wrote to Theophilus earlier he says, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Many infallible proofs. Infallible means without doubt. It means that they are proof without fail. Infallible. Infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so Paul, uh, Luke here, writes two places, both addressed to Theophilus, which is an immaterial subject, but he's trying to convince this very important man in the state of some type, whatever he was, a governor, a leader, uh, some maybe some uh, leader of, uh, of an army, or maybe he was just a governor of some country or area of the Roman Empire, but he was a very important person. He regards him as most excellent, most excellent Theophilus. And so he's writing both of these writings. I've always wondered what happened to Theophilus. Did he, did he make it? Did he serve God? Did he turn to the Lord? You know, Did he receive what Paul wrote him? I mean, what uh, Luke wrote to him? And uh, anyhow, Luke went on to say these infallible proofs. I want to talk to you here this morning about infallible proofs. Infallible proofs because what Jesus Christ did when he came to this world is almost unbelievable. And what he did in the final act of all that he did on the face of this earth, and that is to come forth from the dead, is beyond the almost the belief or the ability to believe by mankind. 
But Jesus did it, and these people were so definite about it. They said in this Luke writing, says, I want you to know, Theophilus, there is no doubt about it. We all believe this. We all know this. We all walk in this. That early church folks understood it. I'm going to read these verses to you found over in, in the first, uh, found in 1 Corinthians for a moment. This is the, called the resurrection chapter. And I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look in verse 3. I know I'm reading a little extensive here, but stay with me for a few minutes. He says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So Jesus' resurrection wasn't just something that happened or something that the early church claimed. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. And we can go back and look at Old Testament scriptures and compare them and look at them where it had been promised to Jews when your Messiah comes. And there are three or four places where it says he would be killed. I can show you those scriptures as well. But it also said he would come forth and he, he would be resurrected. And so he is reminding them that it's recorded in the scriptures and Jesus rose just like the Old Testament scriptures had prophesied that he would. And in verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas, which is Peter, then of the 12, then of the 12. The 12 are the 12 disciples who became the 12 apostles. Now the word apostle means one who is sent. And in, in a church can send somebody. For instance, we send missionaries to foreign lands. And in that sense of the word, they are apostles to that land that they are sent to. Okay, so in the early church, there were people who were sent forth to preach the gospel, to do missionary work, to travel, preach here and there. In that sense, they were called apostles, but there were only 12 of the apostles, and they were called the 12. Over in the book of Revelation, it says that the holy city had 12 foundations, and on them was written the name of the 12 apostles. And Judas Iscariot was not one of them. <laughs> Paul took his place. Praise God. But God had those apostles. And uh, they were the 12. So it speaks here of the 12. And then it goes on to say, after that, he was seen of about above 500 brethren at once. 500 brethren at one time, which happened to have been up in Galilee, of whom the greater part remains under this present, but some have fallen asleep or they have died. So what he's saying, and Paul writing this is saying, there are so many people that have seen the Lord after his resurrection, and they all vouch that there is a resurrection because that's almost an impossible, impossible thing to believe in. Nobody had ever resurrected before. I mean, Jesus rose, raised people from the dead, but then they lived out their life and they died. But Jesus rose never to die again. And with that, he brought us a promise. He brought us a promise. Praise the Lord, that as he rose from the dead, we shall rise from the dead. Praise the Lord. And this is the promise we have of the resurrection. And he goes on to say here, uh, then in the seventh verse, uh, after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, that's the others who were sent besides just the twelve, and last of all was seen of me also as one born out of due season. Paul's speaking of himself as the last of the apostles. He was the one that took the place of Judas Iscariot. 
So what I'm pointing out to you here, all these people, now there are other verses in the Bible that talks about how the Lord appeared here and there and so forth and showed himself that nobody ever has to have any kind of doubt. I'm talking to you here about infallible proofs in the word of God and in the Bible that Jesus Christ absolutely rose from the dead. You see, there are some things that we have to understand that they exist simply because there's so much evidence of it. Uh, a criminal can commit a crime and uh, nobody may have ever seen it. They didn't see him do it. There's no person that saw him do it. But there can be a lot of little, little things and you put all the little things together. Let's suppose a man stole a necklace out of somebody's home and he's a thief, he's a burglar. He, he went in and he stole the burglar and everything and everything. Somebody finds the necklace and they find out he was the one who sold it to the, uh, sold it back to a jeweler and you know, they trace it back. They finally trace it back to him. Well, there's, that's what it calls substantial evidence. There's all these evidences that build up here. Uh, he was here at a certain time. He was there. He did this. Uh, the jeweler said, yeah, he was the guy that came in. I remember him. On and on and on. All these efforts. And finally, they look on the necklace and they say, yeah, here's the little initials on here of the people that originally owned it. So it was there. It's not somebody else's. And all of these little evidences all stack up. And finally, it becomes evident this man is the guilty one. Now, I'm just trying to say here that with Jesus, there is multiple evidences of all types all types there's a scripture in the book of romans romans chapter one that talks about us knowing there's a god it always it always seems so pathetic to me when somebody says oh i don't believe in god and how stupid that is can i just say be honest with you i mean i'm speaking now from just my standpoint how stupid is that and the bible even says and, and I, I can show you three places in the bible i'll just refer to a couple one of them is in, two of them is in Psalms, one of them is in the book of Romans, and it says that we know there is a God by his handiwork. We look into the heavens, and we look at the stars and the moon, and we say to ourselves, somebody had to have put that there, you know? So somebody says, oh, there's a big bang theory, and I always say, what banged? What was it that banged? I mean, that was something somewhere. What, whatever that was that banged, how did that get there? You know, they say, oh, it was a big something, then it banged, and, and there's all the stuff scattered around. All right, all right, so that was a big. But where did all that substance come from? There has to be a God, there has to be a creator, there has to be a maker behind all of those things, you know. Well, I don't believe that was a big bang theory. God just spoke it into existence, praise the Lord. Bible said God said let that be and there was and he just said let it be by his word the Bible says all things were created created means came from nothing you know so you can make something from something but to create comes from nothing and so Jesus or God brother as God in the Old Testament uh, the Bible says he made all these things so we are without excuse the Bible goes on to say in the book of Romans you can't say, oh, I don't believe there's a God, or how do we know there's a God? He didn't show up. The God never, you know, appeared to me. I don't know. Look, you look into the heavens, there's a sun, there's a moon, there's stars, all of these things in the heavens. Somebody had to have put them there. You look around you on the earth. I mean, look at the earth. I can walk on it, you know. There's water, fresh water. I can drink it. It works for my body. 
The air that I breathe is perfect for me, for you, the air. And when they analyze the air, it's, high, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's nitrogen, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen. It's all these you know, different kinds of gases, but they're balanced just right so that I can breathe it and stay alive. Praise the Lord. And the food that I eat comes out of the ground. It don't fall, you know, fall out of the clouds or nothing like that, you know. I know a manna fell from heaven for a while for the children of Israel. God did that. But I'm talking about just normal, everyday human life. And everything, praise the Lord, God made it so that this earth is perfect for us. I have a little bunch of flowers and plants and things in my backyard around my pool. And I've studied those things a little bit. And, and it's amazing. They look like they've got their own brain. And I know they don't. I know they don't have a brain. But they'll, I, this one of the little, little palm things, they're about this big. They're not very big, little palm looking things. And they all grow in every group. And them fingers start growing up tall, and I'll watch them. And then all of a sudden, the little old stem will come out the side, and they'll start going down like that. And the thing's just about that long. And it'll keep going. And you know why it's going? And it'll grow out this way, because this, this stem is getting, it's starting to lean this way. And that little old thing will grow down, and it'll hit the ground and go down and make a root, and it come, becomes a guy wire for that thing. So that it doesn't go too far that way, it holds it back. And then when it grows that way, and if it starts leaning this way, there's one that comes over here, maybe, you know, a month, two months, three months later. I, how does that thing know to do that? I have no idea. Brother Harry does a lot of stuff in my yard for me. He cuts my grass and so forth. I appreciate him very much. But um, we have these little pink ladies, they call them. And uh, their beautiful leaves are all red and so forth. They come up and uh, they grow and uh, they get so big and heavy and they bend way over. I said, poor things are not going to make it. I mean, what was God thinking when he made that? You know, they just grew, they fall over, bend over like that. So Harry saw one of them like that and he said, I'm going to fix that. He put down a stake, tied that stake to it so it would grow like I think kept growing, 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 get higher and higher. But the stalk never gets any bigger, you know, in the trunk. So if you ever take that stake away, it's going to lean over. I watched the ones that did lean over. They leaned over, and the, all the flowered plants at the top turned upward. And then it began to have all shoots over here. And then they began to see the next thing you know, I had a great big, almost a little forest of these little plants growing. It was a way they were like reproducing themselves. And I thought, okay, God, <laughs> I understand what you're talking about. Praise the Lord. I mean, the Lord, and I said, how can that thing know to do that? It doesn't know. God has put that in them somehow or another and in the wisdom of God. And God doesn't just go around and look at all the little plants. He made it, set it up that way, walked away and left them, and they all function on their own. Because there is a God. And that's an infallible proof. Everything you see, the heavens, the skies, the earth, everything you see, it all works together. And it's infallible proofs. And so here is this man, uh, Luke, telling the Christians, excuse me, or Theopolis, <coughs> all of us Christians understand the resurrection because there are so many infallible proofs. Praise the Lord. So many things 
that we can see and we can look at and we can know. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to show you a verse of scripture. I want you to go with me to Luke 24 for a moment. Luke 24. And uh, this is the last chapter in the book of Luke. And uh, it's where Jesus had, res- had risen from the dead. He appeared to some of his disciples. And uh, here's what he says in verse 36. Read it here from 36 and down through verse 43. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. This was after the resurrection, and he appeared unto his disciples. And he said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified, and they were frightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Now, I don't know whether you know this or not, but after Jesus, after the early church got started, there was a group of people that sort of began to develop in the, in the Christian world back then, and uh, they, were called, uh, they were called Gnostics, not agnostics, they were called Gnostics, started with a G, G-N-O-S, Gnostics, and they did not believe in a lot of things about the Lord. They, many of them said Jesus was a spirit. They said he was a phantom. He wasn't real. You know, I don't care what you say, you just can't do away with the resurrection. Some people can't explain it as in the natural mind, so they just try to explain it away. There is a religious group, you know, religious group in our, among us, among, uh, Christ, uh, among the Christian world here in America and other countries as well. They don't believe in the resurrection. They believe in the crucifixion. They put a big emphasis on the crucifixion. Many of you, I'm sure, have already seen literature from them already. They've made a lot of literature about the crucifixion because they do not believe in the resurrection. And I have even asked them in debates, and I've had two debates with these people in times past. One was a two-hour debate. One was a three-hour debate. But anyhow, in discussing this with them, I would ask them this question. I would say, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, what happened to his body? And I've told you this before. And, they, and, they, and they'll always answer, we don't know. That's always their bright answer. And I always say, I do know. Hey, sit down, let me tell you all about it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And it's in the book. It's in the book. Jesus rose from the dead. That's why the tomb was empty. That's why the tomb was empty. Praise the Lord, because he rose from the dead. They think, oh, I don't know. We don't know what happened to him. They won't say he was stolen or the disciples went and hid it. That's what some of the Jews tried to say because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And, and, you know, they come up with all kinds of stories. But, and, and Luke is trying to say there's so many infallible proofs. We've got to understand that there was a resurrection and Jesus Christ is alive now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Uh, I was in Israel, uh, I think about three years ago, two years ago, I can't remember. I was there about five years ago and again about two or three years ago, a couple years ago. And I don't know which one of the trips, I think it was the last one I was on. But we went to the uh, Holy Sepulcher, where where the Holy Sepulcher is. And uh, I'd been there before. And uh, you, you sort of walk up these steps and you come up onto a little platform about like this before you go inside. This is the, the, the wall. This is a, like a cave door right here, big cave door. And there's a curtain hanging over it. And you come up here, and people are taking pictures of themselves and their friends just before they go inside. 
And then there are people coming out, and they wait till the people inside come out, and the ones inside are only in there for a few minutes, and they come out. But they try to have maybe three, maybe at the most four people in there at one time, and then they come out, and the other two or three, four go in and so forth. And they keep it moving. There's a long line like it's from here to back there to that, uh, to, the, to, the, to the sound area, sound booth back there. And so we had stood in line. We'd, we'd gotten up here. And I don't know how this worked out, but for some reason, some way, they came out, and I went in, and I was the only person in there only person it was a rare thing I can't ever remember ever being in the tomb totally by myself and I was in that tomb all by myself and I just worshiped the Lord said Lord what an awesome thing to be in here all by myself you see I had been to the wailing wall I've been there more than once and I honestly, folks, you feel the presence of God. I feel the presence of God talking about you. And I've been to that wailing wall, and I have prayed and felt the presence of the Lord. And I know there are scriptures in the Old Testament that says if any Gentiles come to this wall, this place, and will, and will worship. Not the wall, but the temple mount. They will come here and worship. I will honor them and hear them. So I know that's there. But just to go there and just pray, just stand there and pray and feel the presence of the Lord. We went into the upper room. It's called the upper room. That's where the Holy Ghost fell first time. We were in the upper room. People were coming and going, and there was a group of people over here worshiping. They just had their own little church service going. I think there were some Hispanics, and they were having their little worship service. I don't know what country they were from, but that was going on. Another group over here was over here just talking, and guides were talking, different ones and everything. And I walked over there near where those people worshiped, and I felt the Holy Ghost, and I worshiped God and just felt it. So here I am in the tomb all by myself. What a rare thing. And I worshiped the Lord, and I felt nothing. You hear me closely. I felt absolutely nothing. And I came out, and I said, and then the others came in, and I went in and out. And that puzzled me. I didn't feel anything. I know what the presence of God is. I can feel it in this church all the time. You do too when we come and worship God. If you have the Holy Ghost, there's times where it just gets like real, real heavy with you. I mean, not heavy, but I mean, it gets strong. And I went out and I walked and, and we finally went over and was going to have communion at another place in that same area. And we were going to have, our group was going to have communion and we did. And I said, God, why did I not feel your presence? And the Lord spoke to my heart just as clear as if he had spoken audibly, but it was from my heart. Because I'm not there. That's what the Lord said. You didn't feel my presence because that's not where I am. And I said, thank you, Jesus. That's all I needed. That's all I needed, folks. The tomb is empty. And I'm telling you, praise the Lord, that tomb is just as empty you know, I know he gave it. I talked to you last week about how God gives back things. Anything you give to the Lord, he gives it back to you. And how that you know, Joseph Armathia gave that tomb for Jesus to be buried in, and he gave it back to Joseph Armathia. Joseph Armathia wasn't about to be buried there himself. He wasn't buried. He, he found another place to, for his burial to happen and for him to be placed in, but not there. And that still remains empty to this very day. 
and you can look up outside and you can look up on that on that cliff over there just over where the uh, Armageddon was and then you can see that skull the face of that skull there you can see it it's, it's, it's in the stone it's just a natural thing and you, you may look at it and you don't see it and you say oh yeah now I see the eyes and the mouth and the shape of the face and all that it's an amazing thing to see because it was called the, the it was called the place of the skull uh, a Golgotha and everything I'm only telling you that to say that there are proofs that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is what Luke was trying to tell the, uh, uh, that early Theophilus, actually, Theophilus about the early church. And he says, there, there really is a God, and Jesus Christ really did exist, and Jesus Christ really was crucified, and they all know that, but he really did rise from the dead. And now we have all of these people who can give evidences of it, and they can tell you that it's a fact. Now, when Jesus appeared to these disciples and said, you know, here I am, and uh, so forth, uh, he began to talk to them. And uh, I want you to look at this verse in Luke 24. I didn't, I don't think I read this verse to you, verse 24 and 36. Look at these verses here. And as they spoke, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace be unto you. And they were affrighted and supposed that he had been a spirit. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? And why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Now look at this, these next verses here, this next verse. He says here, behold my hands and my feet. Look at them. And it is I myself. Handle me. Handle me. Touch me. Feel me. I'm not a spirit. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about infallible proofs. And these disciples, there's all of them there, but, but one was not there. And, and then they, they felt him, and yo, this is Jesus, it really is. And he said, and handle me, and, uh, and, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. Notice he didn't say flesh and blood, because the blood had been shed on Calvary. Let me say one thing here to us, to all of us. The blood was shed that you and I might have eternal life and that we may have a resurrected body. Jesus gave his blood to this earth, and it will never leave this earth. It's in the earth. It's in the earth. It's there. It's given to the earth that you and I might have eternal life and that we may have resurrected, that we may have a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. But that blood was shed, praise the Lord, for that, and the Lord never took the, shed, the blood back because he's not an Indian giver. He gave that. That was, that was the price he gave. And the life is in the blood. So he gave his earthly life into this earth that you and I might have eternal life. And that his eternal life would be the pattern by which our eternal life would be. And one of these days, there's going to be a rapture of the church. There's going to be a resurrection of the body of Christ. And the Bible has promised that. It's all through the Bible, all through the scripture. And I tell you that today, folks, that don't ever let the enemy take that out of your heart. Don't ever let any, anything, anybody, any situation ever say to you, no, I don't believe in the resurrection. No, sir, there is too many infallible, infallible proofs that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we have the hope, praise the Lord, one day that we will rise from the dead. And we will one day. Uh, if, if we die before he comes back, then we'll be the first in the resurrection. Praise the Lord. I told one group one time, 
you know, we, we Pentecostals, we are real demonstrative, you know. And this group of people, they were not demonstrative at all. They didn't believe in, I mean, they didn't hardly believe in anything, you know. I mean, just everything so quiet. And I said, you know, you guys would be the first in reaction. They said, we are? How do you, why do you say that? I said, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> I really said it as a joke. I thought that person would laugh, but they did. They got very offended. And I said, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. That's just a joke. <laughs> the dead in Christ shall rise first. Amen. But in the, in the scripture, it says the dead in Christ, meaning those who are dead, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But there is going to be a resurrection. There is going to be a rapture because Jesus gave his blood that we might be saved. His blood was given. Praise the Lord. It was given. Hallelujah. One time I was praying for a young lady that had leukemia many years ago. I was praying, fasting. I had fasted for about three days. And I was at church, and I was walking back and forth, and I was praying for her, that God would heal her body. And I uh, began to sing the song, When I see the blood, I will pass over. When I see the blood, I will pass over. And while I was singing the song, it's one of the few times I've ever heard the devil in my life. While I was singing that song, the devil said, Ha, show me the blood of Jesus. Where is the blood of Jesus? It was shed 2,000 years ago in the hot, dry Judean sand. Where is the blood? Just like that. And on the heels of that came a scripture to my mind. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And I said, I quoted it. I said, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Get behind me, Satan. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus Christ is just as effective today as it was the day it was shed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It was given to this earth. And it was given to this earth, and it's in the earth. It will stay with the earth. It will stay there. When the world's on fire, that blood was given. But it was given, praise the Lord, to the earth that you and I may have a glorified body and a heavenly body. Because when that body of ours is changed and we are resurrected like Jesus was resurrected, when that happens, praise the Lord, then we will have a heavenly body. The Bible talks about that. We'll no longer have an earthly body. We'll have a heavenly body. Praise the Lord. And when we have that heavenly body, praise the Lord, the things of this earth, praise the Lord, will not matter. And that's how we are transformed because Jesus gave his blood that we may have it. And folks, if Jesus paid the price, that's grace. That's the grace of God. We never earned it. We don't deserve it. We have no right to it. But Jesus loved us so much that he just gave his life. He gave his blood. He gave his blood and he gave his life in his blood. That you and I might have that eternal life. Otherwise, our lives are only for a few years on this earth, and then it's no more, you know. But Jesus, praise the Lord, gave his life that we may have eternal life, and his resurrection was the example to us. And if he did not come out of that grave, and he did not write resurrect, then neither do we have any hope. But he did. But he did. And that's why it's so important to understand here about the importance of this resurrection, hallelujah. That is the most important thing in the Bible. Jesus rose from the dead, praise God. He did it that you and I might have salvation, that we may one day ourselves rise from the dead, and that we may glorify him. Well, the Lord went on to tell them 
He went on to say to them, I'm going to read the 40th verse here. He says, when he had thus spoken, he showed, his, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet be, believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have ye any meat? Look, look at this. And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and he did eat before them. He let them know he was indeed alive and he was not a spirit. He was not a phantom. He was not just a, a vague something. But it was really and truly, he was Jesus Christ, flesh and bone, praise God. And there he was standing in front of them and doing everything that they would do and they could do. Now, that was, a, that was another situation where uh, this is recorded in John, I believe it is, where, where uh, I think it was, Thomas, where Thomas said, uh, you know, I'll not believe it till I see him. Thomas says, oh, I know you say he's there and that he was there and so forth, but I'll not believe it till, he, till I see him myself. I, uh, I think it was in John. Yeah, it's in John 20 and 24. John 20, 24. Well, when Thomas heard about this, when they came and said, oh, we've seen the Lord. But when Thomas, verse 24, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And I ask you this question, where was Thomas? Can I just throw that out for what it's worth? Where are we when church starts? Are you in church? <laughs> are you with the God's people and, and where God is, the Lord is, the presence of Jesus is? You know, it's a good question to ask ourselves sometimes. Be careful where we might be when it's time to go to church. I'm just doing that for what? That's all for free. I'm just throwing it out for free. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. It, so Thomas, is, he, was, he was not with them. And uh, in verse 25, the other disciples, therefore, said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in, except I see in my hands his prints of his nails. And put my finger into the print of the nails and to thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I won't believe it. It's, too, it's impossible. I can't believe it. So this is Thomas talking. He's doubting. And then it says, verse 26, And after eight days, again, his disciples were gathered together. This time, and Thomas was with them. He said, this time, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stick around. <laughs> if there's anything to this, I want to know about it. Praise God. You know, folks, you can doubt a little bit, but if you really want to know the truth, the Lord will let you see the truth. He'll bring it to you because he knows that there's an element that we can all doubt some. And so he says, I want you to really know this is really the truth and this is factual. <coughs> Excuse me. So he says here in the verse 26, and after eight days, again, his disciples within and Thomas with them, then came Jesus the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, he knew what Thomas had already said. He said, Reach forth of thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach thither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faith faithless, but believing. He said that to Thomas. And look what Thomas says in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. I don't need to do anything. I believe. Hallelujah. My Lord and my God. Not only are you my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but you're also my God 
and they, for a Jew to say, my God, that's Jehovah God of the Old Testament, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, verse 29, and he says, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And I just want to say this, folks, you may not have seen the Lord like he did, and you may not have had to touch and handle, but there were so many infallible proofs, and the Lord has given us something to witness to us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Ghost in your life, and the Lord gives you that, and you have that evidence of speaking in that other tongue, nobody can ever take that away from you. That's why the evidence is so important. Not just having the Holy Spirit, but the evidence of it has to be manifested so that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I was speaking it, you know, my, my, my daughter, when she was nine years old, and received the Holy Ghost on Easter morning many years ago, my daughter, uh, she, she spoke in some kind of Chinese, Chinese language. I'll never forget it, Chinese language. I've seen people get the Holy Ghost. I saw a woman in, this, in our church, not here, but the old church. I saw a woman at the altar come down to the altar, and she was worshiping and speaking in English, and a woman came up, she was a Haitian woman, and another woman from Haiti from Haiti came up beside me that could speak English and said, Brother Myers, she's speaking in tongues. And I'm thinking, she's worshiping in English. I'm hearing her. She says, but she doesn't know English. She doesn't know English. She's from Haiti. She's just come over, and she doesn't know how to speak English, and she's speaking and worshiping God in English. And when she got through worshiping English, she went back talking Haitian, and, and, and she didn't know a word in English. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You see how God witnesses that? I saw that in South Africa one time. Somebody received the Holy Ghost that could not speak English, and they talked in tongues and received, spoke in English. And I'm just telling you, praise God, it's the evidence that the Lord has given us his spirit. And if he has given us his spirit, his spirit bears witness in your body and in your life that he is real, and this thing is real, praise the Lord, and everything that the word of God says will come to pass, amen. Everything Jesus has said in his word, every part, not one, uh, not one jot or tittle shall pass away, that everything in the word of God will be fulfilled. And one of these days, it'll happen. The trumpet's gonna sound, the Lord will come back, praise the Lord, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him, in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And if, if life can be wonderful in this life, and I know we have ups and downs, but if life can be good and wonderful, and I don't think nobody's wanting to check out right now, you know, if life can be so good, how much more is that life that God has prepared for us that's eternal life? Don't miss it. You don't want to lose it. It's the best thing, praise the Lord, that's ever been offered to the human race, and we find it all through Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' precious name, amen, for the remission of sins, and he shall fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's in his word, it's his promise, and he will do it, and he has, has done it over and over again. Would you stand with me right now, and let's lift our hands and worship God together. Praise the Lord as our musicians come. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this wonderful group of people. Bless this Easter morning. Bless, Lord, each and every one of us here today with your presence, your power, your spirit, thy word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Remain standing, if you will, as our musicians are already here ready to sing. Amen. God bless you.